0: This word this morning uh, won't leave me alone. Words can do that. I prepared this word for a PM service. And normally, when I preach, I put it away in a drawer and I close the drawer, and that's the end of that, but not this message. It's under my arm, it's in my pocket, it's in front of me, it's behind me, and I've carried it ever since August. I can't separate myself from this Word. And when I was asked to do the close on this series, which is so interesting, has been so interesting to me, because in all my years of faith, I've never done a series on the Sermon of the Mount before. And so I found it incredibly interesting. What have we learnt thus far? We've learnt the Beatitudes. Do you know why they're called the Beatitudes? Because the word in the Vulgate is beati, and so all of those blessings start with beati, and therefore they've become the beatitudes. Beati means blessed. We've learnt about salt and light. We've learned that Christ came to fulfil the law. We've dealt with anger, lust, oaths, retaliation, how to love our enemies giving to the needy the Lord's Prayer, which I preached a few weeks ago, laying up treasures in heaven, not being anxious, and the subject matter of this morning is judging. It's kind of a strange one to, to close on this wonderful series, but as I said, I can't put it down, and so the word in my mind was this message must be preached, and so I think it must be pretty important for us to hear what God has to say this morning. As you've heard, um, the poor Jewish people were just astonished by what happened on the Sermon on the Mount. They had lived a life, it was in their DNA, it's in the fabric of the culture to live by the law, it has always been and it always would be, or so they understood, to live by the law. And there are evidences of that even today. And so I thought you might be interested in seeing um, if you can. Can you see over that? No, you can't. Just watch some of my amazingness while I move that. Can you see that? That's the Mount of Beatitudes. You can't see it. You all have to go over that side. Can you see it now? I'm not very practical, as you see. That is the Mount of Beatitudes. And everywhere in Israel where something amazing happened, they built a church. And this church is run by nuns and they keep the grounds. And let's have a look at the next one. Everything's beautiful in Israel. And next. The Beatitudes are situated all around the mount in various languages. Every language you could imagine are the Beatitudes and there it is in English. And next. Inside is amazing mosaic work everywhere. It's quite astonishing. They're tiny little... Hand cut pieces of stone, everyone placed. And next, this is part of the culture even today. Do you see this? It's a mezuzah. And let's have a look at another one. They come in various shapes and sizes. And another one, everywhere you go, you will find that. Do you know what that is? Inside of that is a parchment handwritten by somebody that's authorised to do it, a rabbi. And it is Deuteronomy and and verses out of the Torah to remind the people as they come and go, wherever there's a doorpost and a lintel, you'll find one of those. And it's to remind the people that they are gods and the words of God as they come in and they go out. It's also a reminder that this is a Jewish house for those that um, come in. And so, even today, we see this. Today, we have even still in Western hotels Shabbat elevators. And a Shabbat elevator, once it becomes the Sabbath, a Shabbat elevator is the elevator we don't get in. Because if we get in a Shabbat elevator, it stops at every floor for one minute. And if you're on floor 27, that's tough. And the reason why it does that up and down for one minute on every floor is because the people don't work on the Sabbath. And pushing a button is work. So you need to avoid the Shabbat elevator and use one of the others. But this is how strong the culture is. They still celebrate the Passover and all of the feasts. It is written in the culture. And here comes Jesus walking up the Mount of Beatitudes, which it wasn't called at that time, and he sat down. I don't know, I would have stood up, but anyway, culturally, sit down. And he delivered a word that contravened everything that people learned and had learned over the centuries about God and the way to relate to God. He said, all the things that we've heard about Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And not one of the blessings came from following the law. I can't tell you how much of a revolution that was and how astonishing that was to hear. And I I was thinking about this yesterday and I thought, they must have really been convinced that Jesus was the Messiah or that he could have been to even listen to that, having century upon century of this is the way to relate to God. And so a new way came in and the people were quite confused and astonished by the teaching and wondered how they would even accommodate that into their lives. One of the things that Jesus said is in Matthew 7, our text for today, beginning at verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure that you used, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, and you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? And the verses, I wanted to give you a little bit of context, but the verse that the two verses I'd like to talk about today, and that is, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now the Israelites were used to using lots of measures. They had to measure themselves against the law. They had to measure and weigh what they did constantly. There were so many rules you couldn't keep them all, and I just imagine being people there watching. Oh, you, you messed up on the Sabbath. I saw him mess up on the Sabbath. He pushed an elevator button. You know, I could just imagine people would do that, and so there were judgments in amongst all of these measures that they had to uh, incorporate to live according to the law. Their whole spirituality was based upon it. Now, Jesus came with this new message to set the people free. Have you ever lived under law? Even speeding laws. I mean, they can be a bit annoying at times, can't they? Not that I ever break them, but I'm sure you might. Um, You know, when you're in a hurry and you can only do 60, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have them and you could do like 80 and get there quicker without fear that you're going to be caught? Wouldn't that just throw off a vest of bondage? (coughs) That would be good. And then I started to think about the pea platers. Maybe when you get your black licence, you could do that. Pea platers, still bondage of the law. But this scripture about judgment, because it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, is designed to set us free, because that's what Jesus came to do. It might not sound like that in the beginning, sounds a bit ominous, but it is designed to set you free. Now, in order to live by this Matthew verse... We must change the way we do things. And that was the same for the Jews. They had to change the way they did things in order to live to this New Testament uh, culture, I suppose uh, they might have seen it as. And that was a huge thing to ask. So with regards to judgment, Jesus said pretty clearly, don't do it. Don't do it. It might have been permissible under the law, but it's no longer something that I want you to do. If we do judge others, then we will also be judged, this word says, and we will be judged using the same measure we use to judge others. So what does that all mean? I thought perhaps... I might offer us a definition of judgment because in my experience, it seems that people are a little bit confused about what's judgment, what's assessment, what's opinion. I have seen people judging all over the place thinking that's all totally fine and I've seen people afraid to even have an opinion for fear of judgment. And so usually we might sit on one of either extreme. And so uh, let's look at what judgment means it is the, uh, the Greek word krinos. And krinos means to separate, to make a distinction between you're doing that, I'm over here. To assume sensorial power over, and I'll tell you what that means. To call to an account, to bring to trial, to administer government over. So, sensorial power is, if I assume sensorial power over you, Pastor Ryan, then I would be supervising your manners and morality and I would become an adverse critic. I'd be a fault finder. I'd be watching carefully and picking your faults and making them known. Let's compare that now with assessment. What's assessment? It's an evaluation, an act of assessing or an appraisal. So I'm, I think we should look at some examples so that we know what we're talking about. And I've made up some people. I hope we haven't got a Jason here. Anyway, sorry if we do. Jason, let's imagine that Jason, who is a scientist says or believes that the theory of evolution is compatible with Christianity. But let's imagine, now we are imagining, I'm not giving you my beliefs here, we are imagining that I have an opposing view. How might I express my thoughts here? Now, I'm either going to do that by assessment or judgment. So, let's have a look at response one. I don't agree with Jason's view. I believe that the theory of evolution is incompatible with Christianity. Let's have a look at response two. Jason is wrong, he's a fool, and he's stupid. <laughs> I wonder which one is judgment. Judgment. Put your fingers up and tell me which one. One or two is judgment. Two. Correct. Some of you weren't sure you didn't respond. It's all right. So we've made three judgments about Jason. He is wrong. Now, when somebody says to you, you hate me, and you go, no, you're wrong. I don't. That's okay to say you're wrong because you know what you think. But. When it comes to something like this and we're assessing and their beliefs, well, then it's a bit problematic. So, we've said that Jason is wrong, he's a fool, and he's stupid. Now, let's compare that with assessment. I don't agree with Jason. I think something different. I've made no judgment about Jason himself as a person. I've just said I've had an opposing view which is much nicer and more gracious, don't you think? So let's have a look at Sam now. Sam is in the congregation and he's in our church. We have, I'm sure we have a Sam. Um, Now, let's imagine that Sam lights a glass of wine and he professes to be a Christian. Am I close? (laughs) Let's imagine that I have an opposing view, and I think that drinking alcohol is incompatible with Christianity, that to honour God, you can't drink alcohol. How could I make an assessment, and how am I going to make a judgment? My assessment is I don't wish to drink alcohol as I believe abstinence honours God. That's okay, isn't it? Judgment, Sam can't possibly love God because he drinks wine. Sam is a sinner. Ooh, you're in the hot seat today, Sam. (laughs) Let's try Sarah. I'm hosting a gathering of some description, and Sarah said that she would come. Then she didn't show up. Hmm, boom, boom. I might not feel great about the fact Sarah didn't turn up. How can I make an assessment about that? I don't know why Sarah didn't come. She said she would. I hope Sarah's okay. That's all right. How does a judgment look? Sarah didn't come. She said she would come. Sarah is untrustworthy. She's a cow. whole lot of grace going on right there. So do you think you have a little bit more of an idea about what assessment is and what judgment is? Because let's move on now and have a look at verse 2 of our uh, Matthew 7 scripture. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, I have heard this preached a lot. But I've never heard anybody tell me how that works. Never. Have you? We're just told that it happens. Well, I want to know how that works. And I had to really think about it. So I had some questions. And here's the first question. Who judges us in the first place? So let's look at the verse. For in the same way I judge others, I will be judged. It's that bit. Who does that? You're going to think, God, aren't you? Who does that bit? And how does that judge use the same measure that I use with you? How does that work? That was a sticky one, let me say. So, let's think about it. Is the judge another person? Let's try that on as our hypothesis. Do my words and measures of judgment that I use float around the earth? Have you got a visual of that? Words and judgment floating around the earth until somebody picks them up and hurls them back at me by way of insult. Is that how it works? bit problematic I thought how would the person who's doing the hurling know what I've said to others so that they can return the same words to me unless they were standing right there how would you know what I said you wouldn't so I don't think that's a good explanation hypothesis two or is the judge Jesus you're all going to like that for a moment Does that mean that Jesus is going to evaluate how I behaved because he's going to hear it, right? He knows. And is he going to do the same to me? So if I judge someone because of their dress sense, they don't know how to dress. They look pretty. They totally look ugly like all the time. That would be awful, wouldn't it? And Jesus goes, okay, come here, you know. This is what Lynn said, hurl an insult back at her. You know, would Jesus do that? Probably not. Maybe he's not this second judge. This is problematic. It doesn't, it's incongruent with his character. This is not the character of Christ. So um, that means that Jesus would be a tit-for-tat God. I don't think he's tit-for-tat, luckily. Would he be happy to burn me back for my comments? just to teach me a lesson sounds so holy doesn't it yeah no so neither of those scenarios are going to work so how does it work can i have some burly whiteboard blackboard people to lift that up for me please so i'm going to suggest to you something a little bit radical this morning yes let's give them a clap thank you very much Push it back a bit. Thank you. Beautiful. I'm going to suggest to you something radical that you probably never heard in your whole life before. And that is, I think the second judgment person, let me read the verse to you. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Who's that judge? I'm going to suggest to you that that is you. It's not Jesus. It's not another person. It's you. In the same way I judge others, I'm going to judge myself. Whoa. And with the same measure I used, I'm going to measure back to myself. Okay. The first question might be, why would I do that? Why would I do that? How does this work? Words are creative. And they can be binding. Some words leave no flexibility of thinking, no room for contingencies or alternative explanations for unexpected events and hindrances. What do I mean by that? Let's go back to Sarah the cow. All right. Who didn't show up to my event, remember? My judgment was that Sarah is untrustworthy. She's a cow. Now, I'm going to think Sarah's untrustworthy and she's a cow for a really long time because I pronounced it. I judged her. You know, when a judge makes a judgment, people don't stand up and object. When he goes, 10 years prison, they go, hang on a minute. I think that's a bit tough, you know, and enter in some negotiation around that. The judgment is pronounced and that is the end of it. There's a full stop after that. Sarah is untrustworthy. She's a cow. Full stop. It's cemented in your mind. But let's think about what might have happened to prevent Sarah from coming. Maybe her car broke down. Maybe she fell ill. Maybe some emergency arose. But I don't consider any alternative when I make a judgment. She's untrustworthy. You are a cow. That's it. No explanation will suffice. So it's my belief that a cow is someone who doesn't do what they say they will. Sarah said she would come. She didn't come. She doesn't do what she would say. Now that sounds like a reasonable value, doesn't it? I want to be someone who does what they say they will do. Why? Because I don't want to be a cow and I don't want to be untrustworthy. So, this is what happens to me when I think like that and when I make judgments. I draw a line. I make a boundary in my life. I say, I always want to do what I say I will do because I don't want to be a cow and I don't want to be untrustworthy. This is my first rule of life. Let's get back to Sam who likes a glass of wine. If you're going to do it, make sure it's decent, all right? Sam likes a glass of wine, he professes to be a Christian. My judgment is that anyone who drinks alcohol cannot be a Christian, yes? So therefore, Sam is a sinner. Rule two of my life becomes that I must never try alcohol because if I do, I'm going to be a sinner, right? So here's another rule in my life. Now, let's review Jason. Jason, the scientist, believes the theory of evolution is compatible with Christianity. I have a different view. And so, I've called him a fool, stupid, and wrong, I think it was. I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to be stupid. I certainly don't want to be wrong. Sounds good, right? Let's make that a rule for our life. I've probably got other examples not pertinent to a particular individual. It might look like this. I don't like it when people don't listen to me when I speak. He who has an ear, he. I judge people with poor listening skills to be rude. You're rude if you don't listen to me when I speak. I don't want to be rude like you are. I'm not rude, I will always listen to people when they speak. This is a rule for my life. Rule number four. And on and on they go. Now, imagine if I always listen to people when I speak, which sounds like such a beautiful rule, godly and all. But what if I'm being abused? Now I have to stand there and listen to every word of abuse held at me. Why? Because it's a rule of my life. Because of my judgment, I've established a rule. I have to listen to abuse. I have to listen to all sorts of rubbish out of anybody's mouth because I said I would, it is my value, and I judge those that don't to be rubbish somehow. So, what's happened? What's happened here? These judgments, these measures I have used. I've judged your behavior. Now I must judge my behavior. And my behavior and my judgments have become my prison. Because Jesus came to set me free. I can play all over this blackboard. There is freedom for me. But what have I done? I've immediately, by my judgment, set up, what is it? Another law. I have established laws that sound so good to me, but are going to keep me in bondage. There are no contingencies. I can never break any one of these. Because if I break any one of these, I'm a fool, I'm stupid, I'm wrong, I'm a cow, I'm a sinner. Because that's what I've judged these things to be. Now, what is going to happen when, when I break one of these? I'll tell you what, I will break one of those because nobody can live under such laws What about if my car breaks down when I'm going to your event and I left my mobile at home? I'm not going to turn up, am I? Does that make me a cow? But there's no room in my life for that because it cannot happen because if it does, I'm a cow. Now, when I break one of them, pink stays on a lot. Right, bit of brutality there. When I break one of them, which I will, what happens to me? I'll tell you what happens to you. I could keep writing. I'm going to feel guilty. I'm going to feel shame. I'm going to have whole disapproval of myself. I'm going to be self-critical. My self-worth will suffer. I will make judgments of myself. I'm a horrible person. Uh, I am a failure. All of these things are incongruent with scripture. I am doomed to fail when I judge and I will judge myself with that measure. It's not surprising that Jesus said do not judge because this will be the equation that you end up with and I hear people say to me, I don't know, I just feel guilty all the time and I don't know why I do. Nothing happened. I feel ashamed. I don't know why. I wonder, for some of us, where the judgment might be part of that picture. It's not surprising that Jesus said, do not judge, because your words will capture you And restrict your life and crush your enjoyment and steal your freedom. You'll become critical of others, which leads you to adopting a posture of being holier than them. Suddenly, we have an equation that sounded so godly that results in a lot of ungodliness. Let's listen to what it says in the Passion, uh, Matthew 7, verses 1 to 2. Refuse to be a critic full of bias towards others, and judgment will not be passed on you. For you will be judged by the same standard that you've used to judge others. The measurement you use on them will be used on you. And uh, the message, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticise their faults, unless, of course... You want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. What is the way to freedom in all of this? How do we get free again if we have partaken and set up bondage in our lives such as this? I have two words for you, the two words that are the answer to everything. Forgiveness and grace. Forgiveness and grace. You know, Sarah didn't turn up. I really wanted her to be there. I can forgive Sarah and extend grace to her. I don't end up with a rule of life that's going to bind my life, give grace to your brother who holds the views about evolution and Christianity if they're incompatible with yours. What does it matter what somebody thinks or what you think somebody has done? What does it matter to you? Should we jump up and down and hold an offence on behalf of somebody else because we thought what happened there was wrong? We might feel like doing that. That's what our flesh wants us to do. But the flesh is at enmity with God and will always lead you to death and bondage. What does it matter? What happens? That person stands before God, the perpetrator, stands before God and we are full of bias and cannot judge correctly or divide anything with equality. Forgiveness and grace, brothers and sisters, are precious jewels. Forgiveness and grace. You're empowered to extend forgiveness and grace if you want to be, if you want to be. It's anti-flesh. We don't like it, but it will keep you free let's close our eyes for a moment would you join me I am not the judge I am not the judge do any of us feel guilt shame condemnation a sense of failure Judgment isn't the only reason you might feel like that, but it could be one of them. Is judgment at the core? That's the question today. Things should have been done differently. They've been done wrong. I should have done better. Whatever the cause, forgiveness and grace is always the answer. And we have communion here this morning. But let's not eat and drink condemnation on ourselves. Would you examine your heart before the Holy Spirit here this morning? Examine your heart. Have I made a judgment? And you might not know. It may have been accidental. But you could ask the Holy Spirit to shine a light for you and to see if there is judgment or a critical spirit in you because it will lead you to death if you do. This is not God's best for you. I'm going to give you a moment while the band plays to consider.